my friends. What lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Heresy Grad School, where we're not doing the ordinary. Um, we're taking a little break from Dark Angels. Uh, just, you know, there's some scheduling stuff that came up, and we thought, you know, let's take a breather and, and see where the cast is at. Let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, lore that we've been looking at. Let's talk about some books, maybe some hobby stuff, and some if we have any cleanup we need to do. Yeah. So this is kind of just like a hangout and chill episode. Um, I think uh, we were just talking uh, while I was waiting for Craig to figure his life out. Uh, we were just talking about some of the Solar Wars books. But... Who bought yeah. War? Yeah. So before we we go too far off the uh, you know the beaten beaten trail here, we will be back with uh, more Dark Angels. Uh, you know. Deep Lore, Book Nine, Crusade. We just want to, you know, give Jesse a chance to come back on and uh, talk about it with us because, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's his jam. And he's been waiting a real long time for it. So it's been real fun having him on, too. So talk about some of the things we've been up to, Pat. Well, yeah, no, I, I figured what's a good way to talk about lore if not Black Library books? And so I figured we'd talk about what we're reading, whether it's 30K, 40K, what have you, the new horror that they have. Um, I know I've been just kind of like drinking in the books, both audiobooks and uh, just like written text. And I don't know if anybody else is like this, but I'll listen to an audiobook and I'll be reading two other books at the same time. I don't know how my brain works like that, but it just does. Um, okay, you're you're not actually listening to the book and then reading. No, 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 Okay, no, I was no. like, no, dude. No, but like, uh, for instance, what's a book that I just listened to? Like, I mean, I just got through, which I will 100% tell everybody, if you're super into like Necromunda or like understanding like how a hive works, listen to these books. But I just listened to Dredge Runner and Flesh of Steel, and they're phenomenal. But while I was doing that, I was also, like, in between, I was, like, reading the Necromunda Underhive uh, anthology, as well as reading um, Pariah and Penitent, the two, uh, those two new uh, books that just came out. Yeah. 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 Which, um, listeners, I will tell you right now, there are some amazing lore drops and like really fantastic things from both like if you're a if you're like a inquisitor inquisitor series buff like um eisenhorn ravenor um but also there there's just so much other stuff in there it's wild and i know dave you just 
you just finished Pariah and you're on to Penitent, right? Yeah, I've been I've been listening to him on audio, which I feel uh, like is just super immersive because uh, the voice actor that they have reading the books is uh, uh, Beta Beckwin, right? And the books are written in the first person, and so it's uh, it's it's really it's amazing to sort of be able to immerse yourself in the world. It really feels like you know you're listening to uh, Beckwin talk. Uh, to you from from like her own experience it's really cool but uh i want to bring jason in here too and since we've all read the warhammer crime label right oh, yeah. uh, i think i think we've I'm all still read working on bloodlines i'm i had i had finished flesh and steel though oh well i feel like you started with the right one even though i think uh Zidorov came out first uh flesh and steel was amazing and jason oh, yeah. yes did that like so, Graham McNeil, uh, not Graham, Guy Haley's uh, treatment of the uh, Collegia ex- Extremis, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the way some of the Mechanicum uh, inner mechanisms work, uh, to me, was uh, almost one of the best things about that book. Oh, without a doubt. It like gave so much insight that I don't think we've ever had before on like how the Mechanicum military police work, on like how their version of the commissariat works. It's terrific. And I love that the main character is, well, half of the main characters are, you know, uh, Noctis is a rich kid that wants to be a cop. Well, he doesn't want to be. He is a very effective cop. And it's like how perfectly did they kind of combine that like 80s buddy cop dynamic and put it into the warhammer universe yeah it's it's a great point i didn't even really think about that um but you're right it's it is it's on the surface very sort of uh 80s hard-boiled um you know Mm -hmm. Miami Vice style, but uh, <laughs> uh, underneath that, uh, it's very deep. I mean, the character exploration and just the the I think a lot of the themes that they're tackling uh, are pretty weighty. And I feel like having read all the Warhammer Crime uh, novels today, which is not saying a lot, but uh, they do deal with like some pretty heavy. Uh, topics, man, which I've really, really enjoyed. So I don't, I don't think this will be. This really isn't a spoiler. Um, but the way, like, so in my mind, I knew servitors were a thing. Like, of course, servitors are made. I never like this book. Part of it goes through that process, and I just like for some reason my brain didn't connect with how brutal it would be. I don't know why. Um. I don't know if you guys had the same reaction when you read, like, I think it's like two chapters worth of like the assembly line process almost. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely don't want to spoil it, but I think we've all grown up with Warhammer uh, enough that we sort of take for granted the whole idea of, oh, it's a monotask servitor. Well, what does that mean? Monotask servitor, right? means it does one thing. And like, why does the Imperium need servitors? Uh, because they're cheap and 
they are really good. Turns out the human brain is really good at understanding a command and then doing that one thing. Right. But what is, and then I feel like Guy Haley just peels back the onion on that, you know, and just peels it back and peels it back. And it just gets really weird and really creepy and really dark. And it's, it's just so good, man. It really brings the grim dark back into, because I mean, yeah, we, we talk about things being grim and dark, but like, I feel like it's weird. Like, like you were saying, Dave, I feel like we were taking it for granted. And this book kind of relit that 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 flame, you know, for me at least. I kind of get that idea. What I don't understand, and God knows the internet is not always right, but there seems to be this idea ever since the, like, you know, Gulliman's sort of resurrection and into 8th edition that Warhammer 40,000 has kind of lost a lot of its grim darkness and... What's the opposite supposed to be like? Uh, what's that goofy internet term like? Noble bright instead of grimdark, and it just constantly confounds me when I see an opinion like that online, because it's like, did did you read like anything that's come out in like the last three years? Like it, forty k is still absolutely as grimdark as you remember it, possibly more so in some respects. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Jason. I think a lot of the, the material that Chris Raitt and Guy Haley are dealing with, both, mm-hmm. you know, in uh, the Warhammer Crime uh, label, as well as like the 41st Millennium, uh, I mean, the politics are wild, man, right? Yeah. So, like, since Gilliman has returned, you see a challenge to the old order, and you get to really look at some of like, the uh, the machinations um, of the the high council, like the high lords, right? And Gilliman even knows, like he can't he can't win the crusade. He can't save the Imperium without the high lords. So he's got to make these Faustian bargains. But uh, but yeah, totally agree. It's just as just as dark as uh, as it always has been, maybe more. Also, I'm not gonna lie; I'm a little biased, but I love that uh, Noctis in Flesh uh, and Steel has a cat. But nobody knows what a cat is because only rich people have them. Yeah, that there's some great scenes in it. There really are. Like when he's explaining to his, uh, I think his superior keeps pulling him out of hot water. Right, keeps trying to save his career, and uh, he talks. You know, he's talking to his cat, and his superior just goes, "Wait, they talk." Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, forgot about that. Yeah. Right. Shabina. Yeah. Did Did you guys enjoy Dread Runners? Like, I like. I mean, it wasn't as grim, but like, it was kind of like a good. For me, it was a nice palate cleanser between. um, Let's see. I was listening to a Solar Wars book before I started everything. Let me tell you which one I was read. I was reading real quick. Um, it was kind of the palate cleanser between, um, or it was between Lost in the Damned and Flesh and Steel, and uh, like that'll do it. Yeah. Um, and and maybe it was just me, but but I I so much enjoyed the interaction of an ogren that like is philosophically thinking and then goes berserk you know well i mean he did suffer head trauma this is true 
Algren react to head trauma in very odd ways. My uh, my favorite part of Dredge Runners, uh, besides it being just a really, really well put together audio drama, I think probably one of the best audio dramas I've listened to, were like the little commercials that they inserted, right? Felt like you were listening to like an old 19, like 40s, you know, uh, this is the Mass Crusader after dark. And now we'll have a quick intermission brought to you by, you know, Astro Militarm cigarettes. You know, I mean, it was like amazing. Yeah, it was very yeah. unique. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it, they also had multiple voice actors, which which made it fun too. So, does make the audio dramas a lot more fun. And yeah, I, I say, the one issue I've ever had with audio dramas, very early on. And when they first started putting audio dramas out, I think they had a little bit of a problem of over scripting sometimes to try and compensate for the fact that they, you know, it was essentially just reading a play out loud. And they would over script a little bit to the point where the characters would like over describe the situation, I think, to kind of, and it's pretty common for like spoken stuff like that starting out, but. You know, the characters would over-describe their situations to try and compensate for the fact that you didn't have, like, a paragraph context. Like, don't you open that door, I'll shoot you. Pow! Ah! I've been shot in the left shoulder. You know, and they've really weeded stuff like that out, and I feel like they've gotten so much better. Like, they've gotten so much more practice at, you know, this format now, and it's really good to see. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think some of the early audio dramas, for me, were... A little bit hard sometimes when they um, like the the background ambiance was not uh, dialed in appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it just felt a little uh, overwhelming at times. But uh, but yeah, I agree. I think that that format has really uh, come leaps and bounds and I enjoy it. I don't I don't go into all the audio dramas, you know, I'll pick one up here and there. But uh, but yeah, I really do think they did a bang out job with. uh, with uh, Dredge Runners. So if you guys, what it's like an hour. So if you guys have a chance, just go pick it up. It's super cheap. So what have you guys been reading lately? Well, I've been do reading a lot of the same things you've been reading, Pat. So we'll just go, we'll, we'll see what Jason's been reading. Yeah, been up to Jason. All right, let's see here. So recently, the wife has gotten really into listening to some of these audiobooks. So I'm going back through a lot of some of the ones that I haven't listened to in a really long time. Like we just uh, finished up Hell's Reach a couple days ago. Which I feel like, oh yeah, I feel like it's a very underappreciated Aaron Dembski Bowden book. His he is kind of occasionally like the you know golden darling of Black Library, and I think when people hear Aaron Dembski Bowden, what's the first thing that comes to mind is normally betrayer or master of mankind, which don't get me wrong, both exceptional, but uh, I feel like Hell's Reach is terrific. Um, If you guys have ever read uh, Cadian Blood, that was the first thing he ever wrote. I think that was back in 2009, or the first thing for Black Library, I mean. Uh, that was actually really good, and for a first author for Black Library, I think that's pretty rare. Uh, normally, 
I feel like when authors get started, uh, they have kind of those cookie cutter Imperial Guard novels, you know, starting out of the gate. Um, and then he also did, oh, uh, the two we just uh, finished up, I was actually reading to her, uh, are the two Black Legion books, um, Talon of Horus and Black Legion, hmm. which is decent timing because allegedly that's the next uh, novel ADB is working on at the moment. So we went through Talon of Horus, uh, the three little short stories in between, which is uh, Abaddon, Chosen of Chaos, Extinction, and The Wonder Worker. And then the second uh, in that series, Black Legion. And uh, what are, oh, oh, we just started into listening to the audiobook Fear of the Emperor. And let's see. oh, the last thing we finished reading together was kind of like this really, uh, you guys have ever heard Lord of the Night, uh, was the very first novel ever written by Night Lords back in, I want to say 2006, it was even before the uh, Night Lords trilogy everybody knows and loves. Again, another uh, ADB hallmark of the Black Library. But uh, that was actually by Simon Spurrier a couple years before the Night Lord trilogy came out. And it's about the trials and tribulations of Zosa Hall, the Terran master of the raptors in the Night Lord's Legion. He's referred to as the Talon Master. And it's very interesting because I think it's been a long time since anybody has actually read this novel. Because there's a whole bunch of infighting you know, after Conrad Kerr's, uh, you know, was decapitated. And it's interesting because there's a very weird dichotomy between the captains that are left breathing. So if you've read the Night Lords trilogy, which almost everybody has by now, it's very... It's a very interesting play because in it, they talk specifically about Zosahal and how his claim to leading the Night Lords after the death of, or disappearance of Sevatar and the death of Conrad Kurz wasn't any more solid than any of the other Night Lords captains at the time. Now, if you actually read uh, Lord of the Night, Conrad Kurz specifically tells Zosa Hall, when I'm gone, you're the one that's going to lead the Night Lords. Uh, here's my crown of office, so they'll pay attention to you and take you as legitimate. Uh, it's called the Corona Knox. It's this cool little, uh, kind of sounds like a little anime-esque little tiara sort of deal with little demon horns on it uh, and a little red jewel. So Conrad specifically tells Zosa Hall, in confidence, like, you're the one that's supposed to lead the Legion when I'm gone. Uh, then he dies, and Zosa Hall gets kicked into the warp for 10,000 years when the Eldar attack. So, if you guys remember from the Night Lords trilogy, the big giant uh, surprise Eldar raid right after Conrad Kurz is killed by the Kalidus assassin, uh, that raid the Night Lords left in the Legion think Zosa Hall just stole the Corona Nox and peaced out, and then nobody ever heard from him again. 
which I was actually trying to place the timing on that because uh, they give a very specific year in Lord of the Night. But unfortunately, nowhere in the Night Lords trilogy does anybody ever say what specific year it is in uh, the 41st millennia. Well, and, I feel like, uh, sorry, Jason, I just feel like a lot of other books kind of do that just kind of to make sure GW can keep it vague, you know? Like well, muddy, muddy the timeline a little bit so everything can kind of happen at the same time, but not really. Yeah. But I always wanted to try and place it because in the Night Lords trilogy, they say that, like, oh, Zosa Hall was just yet another contender for the throne of leading the Legion when it was Conrad Kurz that said directly to him, like, here, take the Corona Knox so you'll be legitimate. You're the one to lead the Legion when I'm gone. Now, at the end of Lord of the Night, uh, one of the other contenders, Craig Cerebus, has, after 10,000 years, ascended to a position as a demon prince. And he leads a massive chunk of the Legion left over. He tells Zosa Hall, like, uh, of course you were never meant to lead the Legion. That's Conrad was precognitive. He knew the Eldar were going to attack. He knew they were going to kick you into the warp in like a little force bubble that you'd, you know, be basically disappeared for 10,000 years. That's why he gave you the Corona Knox. Not because he wanted you to lead the Legion, because he wanted you to like be out of the way and safeguard it for 10,000 years so the rest of the Legion could get down to like the actual business of being like terrifying genocidal assholes. And it's really interesting to me because that's where the book leaves off. And you never know specifically which half they talk about all the time, the halves of Comrade Kerr's. Like, one is, like, the dark, terrifying, Punisher-esque, like, you know, force of justice. And the other is, like, the crazy, chaotically influenced, if not outright, you know, succumb to chaos half of, like, the crazed psychopath that would, like, tear the hearts out of anything within reach. And you're left not really knowing what exactly Conrad Kurz's plan was. Or even if Conrad Kerr himself knew what the plan was. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm leaning towards the latter. I, I think Conrad Kurz doesn't always know what Conrad Kurz has got going on. So uh but yeah, I think it's that's that's a really good endorsement, Jason. I have not uh really sunk into the Night Lords trilogy or really explored a lot of their lore. Um but uh that sounds that sounds really good. Oh yeah, it's uh, they're on Audible now. It's well worth a listen uh, if you've got free audiobook time open. Because I will admit, I was not a huge Night Lords fan before I read that trilogy. Because yeah, you know, just kind of had the same sort of idea, like oh, they're this you know crazy, you know psychopaths, and that didn't seem super interesting to me. But much revised opinion after I finished the trilogy really fleshes them out makes him a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's amazing what a good author can add in terms of like nuance to a character. I feel like Aaron Dumsky Bowden does really an amazing job of that. That's sort of the whole Black Legion thing for me. You know, it's like those the talent of Horus and uh the Black Legion, man, those books uh just add so much more um 
like depth to what's going on after the uh you know the siege of terra the long war and uh abaddon's uh black crusades right gives that whole uh really concept sort of uh agency and and uh, makes it really interesting made me actually like abaddon that's a hard thing to do yeah well i i feel like he doesn't really grow to be a character for me like like a good character for me at least in the horus heresy until the solar war books and, and it may be the fact that like he's just written completely differently but he's he's more i feel like he's aged he's more like he's become more of an adult character i don't, I don't know if you guys noticed this in like the very first book of um the siege of terra where like he's on the bridge of is he on no well he's on the bridge of uh, he's part of a strike force and just the way he's calculating and thinking about you know was this worth it and that kind of stuff is, is kind of interesting to me that he's grown so much as a character well yeah i think his his what abaddon's struggling with and what he struggles with i think uh throughout sort of the fall of of horus right and the descent into the grip the grips of chaos is is the the pact that they make with the uh with the demons right the pact right. that they make with the dark gods what abaddon's saying on the bridge is not is it worth it like yeah abaddon wants to see the emperor overthrown he wants to see all of the wrongs that were you know, all the lies and everything else, but he doesn't want to do it with like demons. He wants to do it with like the edge of his blade. Right. So, um, I think that's really interesting. I think it makes him, uh, definitely gives him a little more character, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah my favorite Abaddon is, uh, is actually the Abaddon that we meet, uh, right. I think Kion finds him on that world, Jason, right? He's like, it's, he's like on the wreck of some ship and Kion's out there looking for him. Cause Kion's like this. I know this is the guy who's only, he's the only guy that's going to be able to bring us all together. And he finds Abaddon. Uh, is it the vengeful spirit? Yeah, I think it, it is. Yeah. Cause it had been like crash landed in that weird gully. So now yeah. could get that easily. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, that was a very weird. It was almost like a little like psychedelic voyage. But uh <laughs> but yeah, that is my favorite Abaddon. I can agree with that. That was a pretty that was a good Abaddon. So, that was an that was an Abaddon that just gave zero, you know, cares in the world. He was like, yeah. Not trying to unite, you know, not trying to create the Black Legion, not trying to unite. He's like, "Man, I'm here living my best life." Do you mind? I'm busy. Can you just leave me alone? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to craft brew some like hooch out of like demon juice. It's like, right. Let me go, man. Like, let me. Hey, hand me one of those weird crystals from the hallway. It's great for stirring this stuff, or you know, because that scene was creepy. The hall that had like, you know, crystals that looked like the uh, the former. Yeah. Serves the angel like yeah well, wasn't sanguinius there too oh yeah and yeah that's kind of my theory on why sanguinius can't come back 
in the same way like uh so you know when uh Gulliman first came out in like the uh what is it the oh gosh the oh, after Cadia breaks apart that whole trilogy like the gathering storm so I'm thinking about uh so yeah and like everybody wanted to talk about how uh like oh what are the primarchs are coming back what are the primarchs are coming out there you know and of course then like demon magnus came out demon mortarian so the primarchs i think that have absolutely no chance of coming back horus unless he's a clone uh because the emperor blasted him to the point like not even an echo remained in the war but also in talon of horus uh the emperor's children uh kind of got annihilated as a cohesive legion so probably not there uh conrad not a great choice and uh sanguinius on the loyalist side because uh like everything else that died aboard the vengeful spirit uh it kind of ate its essence and stuck in like a crystal now yeah i can totally see that i uh that and also uh sanguinius's foresight you know so I he I think he knew he was dead. Like he knew when he was when he was gonna when he was gonna die, that was it. He couldn't mm-hmm. see he couldn't see past that moment, right? So it's gonna be really interesting when we get to that point in the Siege of Terror books, that entire dual scene. Cause he knows it's going to happen. And I mean everyone else knows it's gonna be ha- gonna happen. I mean, we've known that that happened ever since when did it even first talk about Horus defeating the angel and then the emperor blasting him? That was like a, a rogue traitor issue somewhere, right? I mean. Oh, right. Like that little weird paragraph from second edition rogue traitor, right. which the whole of the Horus heresy summed up exactly. in like five lines. Yeah, I think that was even then. It like talked about how when Horus defeated the angel, the emperor understood that there was no good left in his son. And he had been holding back up until that point, but now understood Horus must have been just must be destroyed, and then used the uh, chink in his armor that Sanguinius had created with his sacrifice to, which I think is why so many people who weren't Space Wolves players were really annoyed by Wolfsbane, because it feels, and this is just like complete armchair speculation on my part. Uh, it feels like what annoyed people who weren't Space Wolves players about Wolfsbane, especially Blood Angels folks, uh, is the same way that Praetorian of Dorne really irritated Alpha Legion players. Because it felt like to give Lehman Russ something to do, like for the rest of the heresy, uh, they they stripped that special thing from Sanguinius. Like, Sanguinius was always the one that sacrificed himself to wound Horus that little teeny bit to, like, give the Emperor the end to defeat it. And it just... Stripping that out of Sanguinius and giving it to Lehman Russ instead felt weird. Yeah, I can see that. To take something away from from uh sanguinius's sacrifice but also you got to give you know russ something to do i I guess 
you know, I, I don't know. He, he, he's got to do something with his Legion. Yeah. You know, so it does seem kind of like the, the, I don't know. That whole thing was like, you know, Malkador's like, yeah, no, don't. We need you here. We need you to stay here at the wall. Bring your Legion home. And he's like, nope, going to kill my brother. <laughs> and Malka Malkador was like, I I don't think that's a good idea, Lehman. I, I don't think you're gonna win. I played this chess game and I uh I saw you lose. And he's like, Nope, doing it anyway. Gonna make my daddy proud. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I feel like Lehman Russ is kind of making a habit of getting hammered flat by other Primarchs and just kind of barely scooting out. Cause after Angron and Night of the Wolf, it's kinda kind of the same story. Like he was flattened and had to be evacuated by his Huskarls. And he doesn't even really kill Magnus. I mean, let's be honest. Right? No, he Magnus doesn't. sort of lets himself get like broken in half, but like he doesn't kill Magnus. So like I don't know. I mean, I feel like Lehman Russ might be the biggest uh smack talk in Primark without actually having walked the walk. You know. I mean, uh, that is talked about the very last episode with the Dark Angels, like the difference between Lionel Johnson and Lehman Russ is if the Emperor gave Lehman Russ, you know, a prerogative to go kill somebody, everybody would hear about it because Russ would tell them all. But when he gives the Lion a project, nobody hears about it because everyone that has is now dead because he's annihilated the entire civilization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, you know, if the Emperor had sent the Prospera Censure Force and instead of making it, you know, the wolves, he had made it, uh, you know, the angels, the first legion, that would have uh, would have gone completely, completely differently. That does seem like it almost might have been the better choice. Well, yeah, if you if if the Emperor was serious about not bringing Magnus back and standing trial you know if he was like you've crossed the line and we're gonna just exterminate you then yeah i i totally agree i guess it does give credence to the fact like the official idea is that horus altered the orders for lehman russ right to change it from go arrest him to go annihilate him yeah do we actually have proof of that like written proof i think some I think somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And it makes me feel very bad as a, you know, allegedly a professor to uh, say, yeah, probably somewhere. But I think... I think it's in book seven. I think it's in the black book. And Lehman Russ does talk... Oh, Kion. Kion talks about it in... Uh, Talon of Horus. He said, because the Thousand Suns don't hate the Space Wolves, and even when they talk about how the Space Wolves were tricked, that the word they use in Tiskin to describe them doesn't imply the Space Wolves are fools. The word they use to say they were tricked in um, it uh, really emphasizes the cleverness of the party doing the deceiving which I thought was pretty interesting coming from a thousand sun, like firsthand source. Yeah, that's cool. I totally missed that. 
um, that Kion talked about that, or I, I just forgot about it, but that does give it even greater credence. But yeah, I mean, we know that uh, Horus manipulated that, and uh, Valdor was either powerless or sort of stood by and, and watched it happen. But uh, I guess it kind of comes from the same deal of having multiple authors write the same character. You get kind of a wide range of competence in like how that character responds to situations, which is why like the lion seems like hyper effective in a lot of ways. But then like in Imperium Secundus, his idea to hunt down Conrad Kurz was to keep sending single squads of guys into small, dimly lit claustrophobic spaces. Yeah. Or to not turn off his cell phone when he goes hunting, Conrad Kurz, in the mouth <laughs> of the ship. Oh, man. Well, one book I am super excited to get into, and it's kind of my... It's going to be my next read, um, and it's and it's Warhammer 40k. Um, it's the new Kakaradon book that just came out, uh, Silent Hunters. It's actually not written by the normal, or by by the normal Kakaradon author, uh, Robbie, Robbie Mc. Uh, yeah, Robbie Mc. I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, Robbie McNeven, um, who's done an amazing job. He wrote uh, the two short stories, uh, "The Reaping Time" and then "Death Warrant," but he also wrote the two main stories so far that we have for the for the Kakaradon series, uh, Red Tithe and Outer Dark, which if you haven't read them, go read them. They're they're wonderful books. Um, I'm pretty sure both Dave and Jason have now read both of them. Oh yeah. Pro- probably because I was pushy about it. Also correct. Um but Silent Hunters is written by a newer GW author. He's written some Primaris stuff um to my knowledge uh, and listeners may know more about him but um eduardo albert is his name and this follows a chaplain uh who's trying to re- retrieve a relic or, re- or find a relic that that's been lost which is kind of the kakaradon's way of of tithing with the mechanicum and things like in and the imperium itself in order to get um equipment because they're a nomad predator um, fleet, and they have to tithe somehow in order to get new equipment. Because most of their armor is like Mark Three to like Mark Six, I want to say something like. That. So Pat, question for you, mm-hmm. so, as our resident Carcaradon expert, there are two things that immediately strike me with this cover art. Yeah, one, I don't think we've ever heard from a chaplain of the Carcaradons before. Uh, the others have all been about like a combination of like line marines, the company champion, Bale uh, Shar is the captain of what the third company I want to say. I believe you're correct. Yeah. And then we've got that uh, librarian, but I don't think we've ever heard from a chaplain of the Carcaradons before. I'm really interested to see, like how the normal chaplain you know sort of thought pattern overlays with that of the carcaradons yeah the other question i have pat is is what's the time frame on this are we like post aeterna noctis aeterna are we on the other side of the great rift 
Like, what is is this gonna? I, I still have a very strong feeling. Again, I haven't gotten into the book. Um, I still have a very strong feeling like the the other Kakaradon books. This might be pre um, pre Badab War. Or actually, this one may be post, but I, I really don't think we are at the point of of the great of like you know of uh, of Gilliman. It will we'll say it that much. Um, okay. Yeah, because this guy isn't Primaris on the front. He's in uh, Mark Eight. Yeah. So I I think we're I think we're getting close to it. I, I just don't think I just don't think we're quite there yet. No. Um, no. Mark Seven. It doesn't have the uh, collar around. Yeah. It. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm trying to remember this um, from, again, I'm just trying to pull it from the memory of Red Tithe, but there is a scene, um, because in their in their ship, they have essentially, you know, where they keep their ancients and things like that, it's essentially just a pool of water. Um, but there is a chaplain there. Yeah, he hangs out near their aquarium. Yeah, he, 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 he pets the fish and feeds the sharks. Um, but but I mean, so we hear a little bit from him, but this will be interesting to have another main character that is a prominent member of of a chapter of a of a of a command, you know, because we've got we've got Belshar who's who's the the um the prime. We've we've had two librarians, um, so it'll be interesting. I am always interested to hear from another chaplain perspective, uh, ever since Hell's Reach. Uh, Grimaldus is a pretty terrific character, so I'm kind of curious how the uh, Carcaradon version of Grimaldus is going to get along here. Yeah, that will be interesting. Oh, the chaplain's name was um, uh, Nikora, N-I-K-O-R-A. There we go. Okay, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, so this is following, um, let's see, uh, Chaplain Tangata Manu. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but I'm super excited. And I, and I wonder if with this push for more, like, you know, this is another Kakaradon book. This will make it five books specifically about their chapter. Maybe we'll see a new Tiberos, like a new model for Tiberos. Not saying the old model's bad. I love the old model. Um, but it'd be interesting to see a new model because there are so many kit bashes out there of that model. Um, hmm. Specifically it... from the... It's either fan art or it's actual um, GW official art of Tybros essentially walking towards a Mantis warrior uh, with both um, Slake and Hunger, his two um, chain lightning fists, like primed and ready so we'll see no question have any of the badab chapters gotten the primaris treatment yet not to my knowledge oh no i i, I think they have jason i think okay. uh quite a few of them have actually yeah so i'm looking at the the uh chapters of the space marines insignium astartes that uh came out with uh Really big eighth edition Space Marine Codex, and uh, the Kakardons are actually on there. Um, so, I mean, again, I don't know if this is like lore, but I do know that, uh, you know, when you do the whole like uh, the picture of them, right? You know, the heraldry they've all gotten. 
that I think the exorcists were they a bad app chapter chapter? Yeah, they just had the uh, index of Stardis article that came out in this last month's white dwarf too. Yeah. Yeah. So they've gotten it. Um, I feel like quite a few of the bad app chapters have now come into like sort of the mainstream of, uh, of sort of canon lore and they're getting, uh, you know, they're crossing the Rubicon or, you know, making contact with the torch, uh, was it the torch bearers, the, the custodes that go out in, in the beginning and carry the sort of the genetic material to kickstart the process. Oh, it'll be interesting to see you know once once at least with the Kikaradon series once we get past the bet the bedab war um just just to see them more interaction with current current chapters or even current like 40k lore because i mean by the end of um the war they are actually given the mantis warriors homeworld so you know, th there's plenty of wiggle room to play with that, but at least, you know, we'll see if they'll get a get an extra nice um, dressing up with Primera stuff. But I think in they're the, in a in a future book, you know. Yeah, I think their lore is actually one of the more interesting um, uh, plots for you know a post rift Imperium, right? Like an Imperium nihilist, because their whole edict of exile says. Uh, hey, you can't come back into the Imperium, right? You got to patrol the the borders. You, you know, you can, you know, the no, the Nomad Predation Fleet. But when the Imperium, you know, when the Astronomicon goes out and the Imperium goes dark, at least half of it, uh, you know, how far in can they come, right? And like, what are they going to do? So I think that's going to be a really interesting story. Uh, if it hasn't happened yet, um, then I uh, I think it'll be really cool. It's sort of like the Minotaurs, right? Yeah. And the Minotaurs come back in the same way. So, uh, yeah, be cool. I do love the Minotaurs. Yeah, they're the Minotaurs are very a very much sort of a Kakaradon esque, right? Another one of these Forge World Alan Bly creations just out there on the edge fighting the Necrons, you know, where, whereas the Kerkaradons are fighting the Tyranids, right? Mostly. Um, the, uh, the Minotaurs are out there fighting the Necrons and just, just getting just crushed, but also, you know, holding back the, you know, the, the thing with the Kerkaradons is, is like, yeah, we've got them fighting the Tyranids, but like, also, in the short stories, they're fighting other things. You know, they're fighting Necrons. They're fighting... Um, Night Lords. Night Lords, yeah. I mean... And in this most recent book, they're fighting... Or they're fighting, excuse me, um, Druki. So they're fighting uh, Dark Eldar. Don't you dare edit that. Yeah, they're farting on... Yeah, God. Uh, it's been a long Sunday. <laughs> um... But no, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to see all of these chapters get their own section of lore other than, you know, those Imperial Armor books. Which were amazing on their own. I'd love to see a reprint of those. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. That would be nice. Like a reprint, like just the lore without the rules? Or like I mean, a... I'd take both. That's fine. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, there's still some pretty fun rules in it, and but I mean, I mean, I'd take just the lore too, because because there's, you know, yeah, you could probably look around and and try and find a free PDF, but but I'm one of those people that I've got to have like the solid like piece of paper to really enjoy it, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, guys, I feel like we've done a a pretty decent job at talking about some of the books we've been reading and the lore keeps us going this episode of heresy grad school part of the remembrancers retreat is made possible with the support of our patrons starting with our praetor tier alex self chris mack jacob dillon garner tree of woe joe from music city heresy luke rizzuto matthew boyce mr baldwick nicholas quenga and sar luther our legion centurions aaron maynard andrew n angry boy duncan John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Queen Corswain, Scott LeMay, and the original Applesauce. And finally, our Legion Sergeants, Agrippina, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, Gore Crow, Mr. Seer, Nick Gillen, The Zoy, and What Do I Call Myself. Thanks again for all your support. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and listeners, if you, if, you're in, if you enjoy, I guess, these little uh, kind of fireside chats or little, little just kind of breakout episodes from like a normal series keep us posted you know because because we do really enjoy just kind of like spitballing ideas um so yeah but i think that's it from us uh anybody got any plugs coca-cola if you're still out there i would love to work for you one day you hear that coke jason really wants to work for you uh dave no no plugs for me thanks for uh thanks for listening guys thanks to all our patreons yeah. Special thanks to Patreons. Thank special thanks to everybody who listens. And uh I guess we'll see you later. Bye guys. Bye. See ya.